So super glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and uh, if you're joining us at our video campus, man, we are really, really fired up that you're here. Uh, I think you're in the right spot. My hope is, is that you will have an open heart to the things of God today. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, have you ever seen somebody who... When you look at them, there's just something strikingly different about them. There's something that stands out. No, I don't mean it's like the girl who, who turns every guy's head or the GQ guy that you can only find in a movie somewhere. But no, 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 no. It, it's, it, there's something in them. It's something about them that is, that's just different. And when you get to know them a little bit or you see them in action, it actually causes you to want more for your life, something better for your life. It actually challenges you to be what you are not naturally. It's like they possess something that you maybe don't possess or maybe you possess it, but you just want more of it. And it has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with looks or the stuff of this world. Uh, it is deeper than that. It is richer than that. It is internal. It is, there is a certain quality they have about their humanity that is actually rare in our world. Uh, they possess something that to you is admirable. Uh, they possess a certain goodness about them. And I don't mean just goodness uh, to distinguish between right and wrong. I think a whole bunch of people can do that. But when you look at this person, you go, there's just something good buried deep in their soul. Um, this is what is meant by the very old-fashioned word virtue. And virtue has to do with character. Virtue has to do with what is the substance on the inside of a human being, far more than their, than their bones and their flesh. It is, it is what drives a person. It is what rattles around in the soul of the person that helps them to rise above the things of this world. Anybody tracking with me so far about this idea of virtue? It has to do with character and the nature of somebody. Uh, I don't know if you remember back in high school uh, or maybe your college days, uh, we studied a couple of very famous philosophers, Socrates and Plato. Anybody? Socrates and Plato? Any Plato fans out there? Okay. Uh, and, and so uh, they, they, they were very famous for their idea that of the purposeful gain of knowledge, right? That life had to be lived in pursuit of something more, that you have to be ascending in your life. And, and they got around this idea that you need to figure out how to be smart in this world. But what's interesting is that they both landed on something more than just smarts. They said, smarts are good. Everybody needs to run after being smart in this world. But they said there has to be something more. They, they, they started to coin this phrase, and they lived about four or 500 years before Jesus, and they, they coined this phrase, a virtuous life. You have to be a person... Of virtue. As a matter of fact, uh, Plato, who came after Socrates, Socrates was Plato's teacher. Uh, Plato, in his very last piece of writing, this is what he writes. Now, check this out. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. He says this All the gold which is under or upon the earth is not enough to give an exchange for this thing called virtue. So in other words, it doesn't really matter how rich you are or what you gain in this world if there's not something on the inside of you that's anchoring you. If there's not something on the inside of you that makes you more than just flesh and bone. He says virtue, right? It really matters. Jesus himself said it like this. Jesus, listen to his words. He says this in, in Matthew's gospel. It says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In him, inside of him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil that's stored up where? 
in him. And, and so Jesus gets around this idea that it is what's in the heart of a man. It's what's in the soul of a man that really defines him in this world. So virtue, it, it, it's, it's critical to a life well lived. Uh, virtues, listen, when we figure out how to live this virtuous, character-driven life, it pleases the heart of God. And more than that, it reflects the nature of who God is. And so this series, we're calling Virtue. And we're saying that some things in our world should not be forgotten. A person of virtue. So uh, if it's okay with you at both of our campuses, here's what I'd like to do. I want to just take a moment and we're gonna ask God to speak into our hearts right now. And I know it's a little bit odd to, for some people to hear this, but we're gonna ask God to move inside of our soul and to grow us in this area. And then we're gonna talk about the often forgotten virtue called loyalty. Y'all ready? Okay, let's pray together. So God, over the next few moments, I pray that your hearts would be our heart, that you would somehow open our minds to what you have for us. Uh, God, I pray that you would clear out some of the space that this world has taken up in our souls and that we would hear from you, God. Speak, oh God, we say this all the time, but we, we mean it, God. Speak, oh God, for, our, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. Anybody uh, in either of our campuses, have you ever experienced flat-out betrayal in your life? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, you thought you were friends. You thought you were married. You thought like you were in business together. You thought you were heading in the same direction. And all of a sudden, it was like a knife to the back. Anybody in the room, you know what I'm talking about? This idea of betrayal, it is a real deal. As a matter of fact, most uh, psychologists would say that this idea of betrayal is one of the deepest human emotions that we can experience. It is one of the roughest things to get through in life. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about what I would think would be the greatest singular act of betrayal that humanity has ever known. Some of you who are familiar with the scriptures uh, will remember the, the story of Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was given over, uh, that he gathered around 12 of his closest friends. We call these guys, anybody remember? Disciples, his followers, right? The 12 people that he was doing life with, their closest friends, his closest followers, and he gathers them up uh, for a big barbecue, right? A whole dinner deal, and he's all together with them, and they're doing life. And at one point during this dinner gathering, how odd is this? Jesus literally steps up to the plate, and he says, uh, hey, by the way, by the way, one of y'all is going to betray me in a very, very big way. Yeah, yeah, somebody's going to just totally go and stab me in the back. And, and you know what the 12's reaction was? Very interesting. They go, not me. Bro, not me, man. I am like with you. I am on your team. I am like all in for you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I will never turn away from you. I'll never let you down. I am with you. And Jesus goes, okay, yeah, sure. And everybody's like, not me. Not me. It's not going to be me. A little bit later in the meal, Jesus is passing around this little dish, maybe a queso dip or something like that. I don't know. Um, but he's passing this thing around and he says, he who dips his hand, his food into the bowl to get a little salsa, he's the one who's gonna betray me. Now what's interesting, who at a dinner party hasn't dipped their hand into the salsa? They all did. Every one of them at one point during that night dipped something in there, right? And so what was he saying? 
He was saying, even those who are closest to me, even those who are doing life with me, I'm sharing a meal with you. There's going to come a moment where you're going to turn your back and you're going to stab me in the back. And they're all going, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? You crazy? We are full on in for you. It says a little bit later, Jesus decides to go out and pray and he finds his garden like a public park and it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he invites the others to come along and to pray with him and 11 of them go, one stays behind. Very interesting. And they're out in the garden and Jesus is praying and all of a sudden this is what we read in the scriptures. It says, while he, Jesus, was speaking to the others, Judas, anybody remember this guy? One of the 12, one of his closest followers, arrives and with him a large crowd armed with swords and clubs uh, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the, what is this word? Now the betrayer had arranged a single with them. The one that I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Now going at once, so Judas shows up and says, going at once toward Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Uh, Judas greeted Jesus with the customary kiss of friendship, right? Now, we don't do that here. Don't come up to me, try to kiss me. That's just weird. Um, uh, but in this culture, they would do the cheek-to-cheek kiss, right? You've seen this on television, or maybe you've seen some friends do this before. And with Judas's kiss, a whole motion of history is set, right? Betrayal of the highest level. A friend, listen to me, a friend gives up Jesus, the son of God. And when I read this, I think, that doesn't make any sense at all. If one person I'm gonna be loyal to, it is him, right? It is him above anybody else. I mean, I'll stab you in the back. We're not, not Jesus, right? And it says, with the kiss of a friend. He's betrayed, he's turned over, he's arrested, falsely accused, you know the story. He's mercilessly beaten and eventually put on a cross and crucified for the sins of the world. I'm just wondering, how how many in the room remember the moment that you have been betrayed? Anybody? You you remember what it feels like? Uh, This is where Jesus was, betrayal of Judas's kiss. And this is, there is this virtue out there called loyalty. And it is a virtue that is very important, but I don't think exists too much in our world, right? We live in this throwaway society. And I think you've seen this, right? When we're done with it, we just get rid of it, right? Uh, we live in this throwaway world where, where it's uh, one use. If it's no longer good for us, just move on to something else. And I'm not talking about just paper cups and plastic plates and all things made in China, I'm talking about people. We, we live in this throwaway world and even in the world of people, it is a throwaway society. If you find somebody better, ditch your friends. If you find somebody richer, ditch your husband. If you find somebody, I don't know, younger and prettier, ditch your wife, right? Uh, it, we live in this throwaway world. Sex is throwaway. Truth is throwaway. Reputations are throwaway. Business is throwaway. Business is cutthroat, right? Nobody's loyal anymore. Uh, somebody else does it cheaper, I'm going over there. It doesn't matter that you served me for 30 years. That guy can save me three bucks, right? Uh, employers aren't so loyal to their employees. And it cuts both ways. Come on. Employees aren't so loyal to their employers. 
You get a better deal, you go. That's the world we live in. Husbands do it, wives do it, friends do it, people do it, businesses do it. And let me tell you something, church people do it and churches do it. I realize that for many people, I am only as good as last week's sermon. You come in here and it better be good, Jay, because there's this other church right down the road that I'm interested in. And it was fine when you were preaching and it was like all about my husband because he needed it, right? But now you're talking about stuff that affects me. And I'm out of here. Or, or I, don't like the, I don't like that new music stuff. I don't like those new songs. I don't even like that new leader you got up there. I don't like it. I'm going somewhere else, right? Because we live in this kind of throwaway culture. Now, now let me ask you, um, um, how many in this room would, would say, you know, just be honest for a second. How many would say, yeah, you know what? As I look around the world, it's true. We do kind of live in this disposable culture, moving on, and loyalty is probably not at an all-time high. Anybody in the room? Okay, both campuses. Y'all with me on this? I think most of us would say, yeah, that's the deal. So let's go up a level of honesty. Can you, can you do this with me? Up a level. How many of you would, just be honest, just would say, you know, as I think about my own life, I, I feel like I'm a pretty loyal person. I really do. I feel like I try to you know, give everybody a fair shake, and I'm, I'm kind of a loyal person. Anybody in the room? Anybody? Hands up, both campuses. Um, you see the problem, right? Who says the world doesn't have any loyalty? What? Who says that they're loyal? What? There's a gap somewhere in the middle here, right? Uh, there's, there's tension, right? And, and so we're going to have to figure out how to weave this, because apparently uh, all the disloyal churchgoers are at the church down the road, because most of y'all raise your hand. And so there's something that we have to figure out here, and here's what I think it starts with. Um, the lack of loyalty, and you may want to write this down, the lack of loyalty is very difficult to see in the mirror. Come on. I mean, we can point it out and others like, he did that and she, and they're no good, and they walk away, but it is very difficult to see it inside of me. And my guess is it's very difficult for you to see it inside of you. Um, it's difficult to see something in the mirror because uh, we think, I'm loyal, but if you ever cross a line, ah, you're going to see the other side of me, right? I'm loyal, I'm loyal, but as soon as you let me down, woo, Facebook, here I come, right? And you plaster it all over. You, you, you accidentally do something to somebody, and it's like you have become the worst villain on planet Earth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And these are the same people that say, I'm really, really loyal. I'm really loyal. Um, it is very, very difficult to see this in the mirror. True story, absolutely true story. I was, uh, it was a few years ago, and I had this guy who worked for me all the time, and uh, we worked the whole summer together. He is a good guy. He's a big guy. He's like a weightlifter kind of a guy, throws up 300 pounds kind of a guy, you know. And uh, we worked the whole summer doing all these projects, and we were actually working at my personal house. And he, you know, he was up by the road, and I was sort of in the backyard. And uh, we have a few acres, and all of our neighbors have a few acres. And so there's kind of a lot of space between us. And, and I'm watching, and I'm doing my deal, and he's doing his deal. And all of a sudden, uh, Eric, uh, this, this guy who was working with me, he, he literally drops his shovel and turns... True story, he, he, he goes into a full out, I mean, sprint aiming right at me. And he, did I mention that he is a big old boy? I mean, he is a big boy and he is like, 
and he is waving his hand like this and he's yelling something and I'm like, what are you saying? What am I doing wrong? I don't know why you're yelling at me. He's like, and all, I'm like, what is going on? It was like all in slow motion. And I see this tank of a guy running at me and all of a sudden I can start to hear what he says. You know, he says, run, run, run. And a bunch of other things that we do not repeat. All of that, right? And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, run, run, run. And all of a sudden I kind of look right behind him and I see about 70, maybe 75 feet behind him, this massive 100 pound demon possessed pit bull, literally just gaining on this guy. And that thing was drooling in the fangs and it was going crazy. You know, and I don't know if you know what a pit bull is, but they kill like all the neighborhood kids in one eating, okay? They're like, evil, okay? And so uh, he's running, and I wish I could tell you in this moment that I was super godly. Uh, and I wish I could tell you uh, that I thought, man, I really hope Eric can outrun that thing. Uh, <laughs> I got to admit that I just thought one other thing. I just thought, I hope I can outrun Eric. <laughs> be- be- because I knew that whoever was bringing up the rear was in trouble, right? And, and so literally, I turned and I Run, and, I, and I, I get it. You guys are going, oh, you're so godly, pastor, sacrificial. No, I did not care at that point. I was, I was doing it. And so we're both running, and this big old 300-pound beast, my friend, he is gaining on me. I'm like, what is going on? And so literally, we arrive at my patio door. No kidding. We arrive at my patio door at the same time. We whip that sucker open. We get inside. We slam it shut, and I kid you not, that pit bull went boom right into the glass. And I'm like, what? And now we laugh about it. We're inside, we're laughing. Like, and I'm like, Eric, I was hoping it was going to be you, not me. Uh, and, and the truth is, why, friends? Because when push comes to shove in our life, we are loyal to me. And you are loyal to you. And I'm not so sure that that is the best part of who we are. I'm not so sure that is what God wants for us and from us in our life. I'm thinking maybe, maybe God wants even something more than that. So when I think about this idea of loyalty, I think of one of the, the scriptures that just uh, jumps out at me, right? This, that it's hard to see it in the mirror. It's the life of Peter. And some of you guys who've studied the Bible, you'll know that Peter was this very robust, uh, very outspoken follower of Christ. You all know who I'm talking about. This guy's named Peter. He's in the Bible. And uh, Peter was like one of these guys who like, I am all in. I am like doing whatever you want. And I'm like going wherever you go. And I'm doing whatever you say to do. I am all stinking in. Uh, but what's interesting is there's a story that emerges from Peter's life. And uh, uh, Peter tells Jesus in this story, he literally just finishes telling Jesus, Jesus, I got your back. Even if all these other losers turn around and run away, I'm never, I'm loyal to you. I kind of made part of that up, but, but you get what I'm saying. And then it says this, Matthew 26, 33, listen to this. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Uh, I, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Now Jesus responds to him. Jesus answered, the, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter said, what the hot hay are you talking about? He's like, I, I'm not going anywhere. Even if I have to die with you, I will never what? Listen, disown you. And all the other disciples are like, yeah, us too. We're totally in a hundred percent. Right? Well, some of you guys know the backstory of what happens here is he goes out from that little 
meeting with Jesus and he's out not once, not twice, three times. You remember this, right? Three times. After Jesus was arrested on the same night, he is asked, hey, hey, aren't you the guy who was with Jesus? Hey, hey, don't you know Jesus? Hey, hey, didn't I see you hanging out with Jesus? And not once, not twice, three times. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know no Jesus. I don't know anything about this Jesus. I, no, no, it was you, it was you. No, it was not me. You see, lack of loyalty is very hard to see in the mirror, isn't it? Come on, isn't it? Amen? And here's the thing about loyalty. Um, when, when, when Peter went against what he knew in his soul was the right thing to do, the, the effect of betrayal is so deep, both for those who have been betrayed and those who do the betraying. And I'm guessing there's some of us in this room who we've done a thing or two that we really regret. And this is Peter's regret. Listen to this. It says, and he went outside and he wept. How did he weep? Bitterly. He went outside and he wept bitterly. He is like, I just cannot believe I did this. Everything that I stand for, everything that I believe, I just compromised. Betrayal is deep on both sides, amen? And so here is what we need to understand about this idea of betrayal, about the lack of loyalty. Uh, and you may want to write this down or take a picture of this, is that true loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. Do you hear me, friends? True loyalty is proven, not proclaimed. So we have a group of people in the room that say, yeah, 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 loyalty is nowhere in our culture, but I'm loyal. It's not proclaimed, it is proven. You hear me? Uh, matter of fact, one of the great stories uh, that talks about this very issue of being proven, not just proclaimed, comes out of baseball. You guys know I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. I'm sorry, I just do. And uh, I love the history of the game, the whole nine yards. And uh, one of the great stories comes out of the 1947 season where there were two superstars really just kind of coming up through the ranks. Uh, one was named Pee Wee Reese. Uh, he was a shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then another young guy who was making his debut, and his name was Jackie Robinson. And Jackie was an upcoming all-star, but Jackie had a big problem. Jackie was black. And he ended up being the very first guy to break the race barrier in baseball. First guy to ever start who was black in baseball. First guy who ever became a superstar in baseball who was black. I mean, the guy was amazing. But with that came a tidal wave of hate against him. As a matter of fact, it says once the management decided to bring Jackie in uh, to play second base, the whole team basically circled around him and said, we don't want you here. We're not playing ball with you. And they set him up for failure at every single turn. They set him up for failure. Uh, he had so many death threats and terrible things would say, you know, people would say all kinds of things about him. He'd go into a stadium and uh, baseball is America's game, right? And baseball is America's game, but, but America's white. And the crowds let him know that. And so he'd walk in and the whole crowd started to jeer him and say all kinds of terrible and wrong and shameful things. And one day they're in Cincinnati, the Brooklyn Dodgers are playing the Cincinnati team and uh, Jackie is at second base and Pee Wee is at shortstop. Great name, Pee Wee, I love it. And, uh, and the game's going on and all of a sudden the people of Cincinnati, the crowd, they start just saying horrible, brutal things, and they start throwing all kinds of things at Jackie. People are trying to jump into the field. I mean, they're just 
They're brutalizing this guy. And finally, Pee-wee had enough. And uh, really an amazing thing. He just literally, I am done with this. And he takes his hat off and he throws it down at shortstop. He takes his glove and he, as he kind of cut across the diamond, they said he second base was there as he's cutting over from short. He just throws his glove down, hits the base as hard as he could. And he comes and he stands right next to his buddy Jackie because they had become roommates. And they become friends. And, and they begin to realize that just because you're a different color doesn't make you a different kind of human being. So they're standing next to each other and the crowd is just going crazy with hate. And Pee Wee did something that changed the world that day. He does this. Puts his arm around his buddy Jackie. And he just stood there. All the stuff was flying at him. He just stands there. He's looking at the crowd, just stands there, and the team didn't know what to do. The coaches didn't know what to do. The umpires didn't know what to do, and the crowd didn't know what to do. And eventually, history records that that crowd eventually fell in shame, that they became quiet. And Jackie later writes in his memoirs, he says, that moment was the moment that changed his life, not only because it saved his career, but because it saved him from a life of bitterness and hate. It was the moment he realized that, that there was something deeper inside of humanity. This thing called goodness and grace. It's found in there somewhere. Friends, listen, uh, loyalty can't just be proclaimed. It has to be what? Proven. It has to be proven. And so if it's okay with you, uh, I want to attempt something that uh, might be a little bit much for you, but I'm going to try my best if it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears here, and I'm going to talk with, with, uh, from a different preacher's voice, okay? It's going to be Pastor Jay, the sarcastic preacher, okay? Y'all with me so far? So hold on. Okay, so hold on. Sarcastic Jay. Okay, so what I want to do, what I want to do is help us to see, if it's okay with you, I want to help us to see that it is hard to see in the mirror. It's just hard to see it inside of us. And, and so if you're out there and you're like, no, I'm loyal, man, but let's just say pretend, let's just say you want to, you want to work on your betrayal. You want to work on being you know, disloyal. You want lack of loyalty to kind of permeate a little bit higher up in your life. Uh, I got some great ideas for you uh, to work on, some things that you could really work on. And remember, this is sarcastic, Jay. Okay, no, just go with this, okay? So there's some things that you can work on. I think if you're going to, you know, want to take it up a level and work on your opportunities to be disloyal, I think one of the very first starting spots for you would be to be disloyal to your family. I think that's a great spot to start. Uh, right there. Just be disloyal to your family. And in particular, if you're married, uh, just be disloyal to your spouse. Okay, so I'm going to help you to think these things through a little bit uh, from a sarcastic position, okay? So here's what the scripture says. So like, if you're sitting there and somebody throws a little something up there about God wanting you to be loyal, they might read something like this from the prophet Malachi from the scriptures. It says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and in spirit? Are, are, you are his. And what does uh, he want? God wants godly children from your union. So guard your what? Heart. Remain what? Loyal to your wife of your youth. So if you start to feel that, here's what you do. Here's what you do. What are you talking about? Who does that anymore? 
I mean, really, come on. Who is perfectly fine? You got one wife, you trade her in later for another wife. You got one husband, you trade him in later for another husband. You just got to get this to roll off of you just a little bit. Now, go with me a little bit here. Uh, like, you know, if one guy, he's approaching 50, he's got a 50-year-old wife, what is so wrong about trading in a 150-year-old for two 25-year-olds? The math is the same, right? The math is the same, right? And so when you hear a verse like this, the next verse, it says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be what? Come on. Unfaithful to your wife. Here's what you say when you hear that. Hasn't God seen desperate housewives? Because that's how you build a relationship in modern day America, right there. I mean, come on, if, if he ain't giving you what you need, you move on. If, he ain't, if she ain't living up to your expectations, you just move on, right? It's a disposable society. It's a disposable world. And, and frankly, listen, it says, oh, you heap cruelty on her. Here's what you got to do. She probably had it coming anyways. She probably deserved it. Have you ever heard the way she treats me? Right? That's what we got to roll with here. And, and so, you know, this idea of being faithful, come on. Come on, who is faithful today? I mean, seriously, I did the research on this for you. About 40% of Americans will have an affair in their life. That's staggering, isn't it? So listen, God can't expect you to do any different. God can't expect you to do anything more. Come on, it is what it is, right? I mean, she ain't giving you what you need. You gotta go somewhere else. He ain't giving you what you need. You gotta go somewhere else. Right? Y'all with me so far? You, you hearing this? Okay, so I know, listen, that's probably a little bit much for some of you, but let's, let's, you're not ready to go walking out on your spouse. Okay, let's dial it back a little bit and let's work at a more entry level. Uh, let's dumb this down a little bit. Uh, you might want to try something like this. This is a great way to be disloyal to your family. Um, I have a friend, a good friend, uh, who has made it an art form in being disloyal to his wife. And uh, no, he hasn't had an affair that I know of. Uh, but here's what he does. He just knocks her down in public all the time. He just badmouths her and just literally just talks trash about his wife and knocks her down. And this is what he says, though, to cover up. And this is what you got to learn is after you're done beating her down, you got to say, oh, honey, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding around. You got to get a sense of humor. Why are you so uptight all the time? And you got to put all the blame on her. That's what you got to do. And but before you feel too bad for her, I got to tell you something else. She's really good at it, too. And it just goes back and forth. But you want to build this loyalty in your home? Just talk bad about your family out in public. As a matter of fact, you can do this with your kids, right? You want to ruin your relationship with your kids? I got great advice for you. All you have to do is beat them down in front of other people, and they're going to cuddle right up to you, right? They're going to run, right? So here's, here's another way. If you want to work on this whole, you know, disloyal type of thing, a, a great way to be uh, disloyal is this. Here, here's another way. This one's really easy, actually. So let's say you're out to dinner uh, with your wife. You go out, and uh, you you got a waitress, and she's kind of good looking. Here's what you do. Uh, and your wife's like going, you're going to break your neck. Right? And, and listen, and here's what they say. When she says, when she says, you're lusting after that woman. You say, no, you're not lusting. Say, no, no. Especially if you're a Christian, this is what you say. You say, I'm not lusting. 
I'm just learning to appreciate all the beauty that God has created. Amen. Glory to God. See how that goes over, right? And or you go home and you get on that little World Wide Web thing and there's a million babes out there willing to show you all the beauty of God's glory, right? Honey, I'm just appreciating all that God created. And, and women, you know, it's the same thing for you. You can do the same thing. Your husband's sitting there with a big old beer belly and you're like, woo, look at that guy over there, you know? It cuts both ways, doesn't it? You go on the internet, it cuts both ways. Let me tell you, women, let me dial in. If you want to really kind of, you know, build a little disloyalty in your family, uh, here's a great way. This is awesome. This is awesome. You ready? This, this is great. Uh, just dress immodest. Ladies, just, you know, if you got it, flaunt it. If you got it, jiggle it. Right? Wear it low, wear it high, wear it tight. And tell your husband, and tell your husband in the process that this isn't for him alone. You tell him that I'm willing to share myself with the whole world. Woo! Moving on. I'll tell you, one of the best ways to literally just to build a lack of loyalty in your family is just put anything in the world in front of your family. Just put work, just put hobbies, fishing, boating, hunting, uh, nights out with the ladies, crafting, I don't know what you do, but just make sure it gets in front of your kids, gets in front of your husband, gets in front of your wife, and, and just let it take over your life. That'll be really good, right? What? Here's another way that if you're just at the beginning stage of this, a uh, little sarcasm here, but uh, if you're at the beginning of the stage, I'll tell you another great way you can build disloyalty in your life. You build disloyalty with your friends, right? Uh, be, you can be disloyal with your friends. Here's what the scripture says. A friend is always what? A friend is always what? Loyal. Loyal and a brother is born to help in the time of need. What are you talking about? Here's what you gotta say. Here's what you gotta say. Listen, when I was a kid, my brother came along he was for beating down and doing my chores, right? And nothing's changed. Be loyal, my foot, helping each other out, my foot. Here's the best way you can start being disloyal to your friends. Stand them up when they need you. Make no time for important things. Um, you know, you set a, a night out with your friends and something better comes along and you just ditch them. It's great. Here's a good way you can break, uh, break loyalty in your life. Uh, just help you kind of look in the mirror a little bit here. Uh, one of the great ways is that you can gossip about them. When they get you a little upset, when they, when they do something that makes you a little bit miffed, just go tell everybody in the office, go tell everybody in your neighborhood, just go tell everybody in your family how much of a jerk they are to you, right? And then call them your friend when you see them at church. Hey, brother, how you doing? Or just listen to gossip about them. How about that? That's great for a friendship, right? Or maybe when you've done wrong, you never want to apologize, that's for sure. Not if you want to build a lack of loyalty in your life. Don't ever apologize. Always think you're right. Right? How's that going? Right? Okay, here's another one. You want another way that we can be disloyal? Come on, y'all want to go with this? Y'all good? Okay, listen, here, here's another way you can be disloyal. You're going to love this one. You can be disloyal to Jesus' church. You 
can be disloyal to Jesus' church. Now, if you go back, and I don't know if you're a Christian, but I'm guessing a whole bunch of you are at both of our campuses. Now, listen, you can go back in the scripture and you can see these early Christians, they were nuts. They were all in. They realized that by being a Christian was going to cost them something. By being a Christian, they were building what Jesus was building. It was called the church, right? And so what you can do if you want to really build disloyalty in your life, uh, you can be disloyal to Jesus' church, the capital C, the whole kingdom of God, but you can also be disloyal to his local church, the church that you call home and that you're a part of. And here's some good ways to do it. I'll help you out. This is the way you want to do it. I can, I can help you out. Number one is when you come to church, Number one, when you come to church, make sure you come with a consumer attitude. I hope Pastor Jay is on his game today because when I came six weeks ago, he most certainly was not. And I hope they don't do that one song again because that one song was horrible. I'll tell you, a good, good thing to do if you really want to build disloyalty to Jesus, here's what you do. You show up in his church every, I don't know, maybe six, seven weeks come sporadically. Listen, come when it's convenient. How about we do that? How's that going to go over? Just come when you're convenient. And then when you come, make sure you're the consumer that says, I'm not giving. I'm not praying. I'm not going to bend over and pick up a trash on the way inside of my own campus. I'm going to let somebody else wash the toilets. I'm going to let somebody else work with the kids. I'm going to let somebody else serve the teenagers. I'm going to let somebody else run the lights. You want to build disloyalty is do not serve in the kingdom of God. And do not most certainly serve in your local church. Y'all with me? All right, that's going over great. It's a lot harder than you think to preach with a little sarcasm. You good? Okay. And so you get the idea though, right? Is that it is hard to look in the mirror and to see where you're going wrong. And I wish I could stand up here in front of you and go, oh yeah, I got this together. That would be a lie. The deeper I look at this idea of the virtue of loyalty, the more I realize I struggle with it. The more I realize how self-absorbed I am in this life. And how much everything is about me. Like it is ironic. It, is, it blows my mind that Christians do this and I do this. They'll go, I don't know if I like that worship service. I had two of the four or five songs. I didn't even like, I don't even like that worship leader anymore. I don't, even, I don't even get it. I don't even know why we have them up there. Why? As if worship was for me. I'm sure you guys are way above me on that, right? It is hard to see in the mirror, am I right? Or is it just me, friends? Um, disloyalty, or loyalty, I should say, uh, doesn't need to be proclaimed. It needs to be proven. And uh, I think that's just something that we just got to acknowledge. And so if we're going to move forward, we, I think we got to ask, where does this disloyalty come from? And, and I'll just tell you what I think, and I don't know, I could be wrong, but this is what I think. I think it comes from a, uh, it's born out of a divided heart, Disloyalty is born out of a divided soul. Um, you know, I used to think when I was younger as a Christian, like people who screwed up and did bad things, they must not love God at all. I don't believe that to be true anymore. I think that a whole bunch of us in this room, we would raise our hands and say, I really love God. But there's just this other part of me that really loves the world and the things of this world. There's part of us that loves the things of God. And then there's a part of us that loves the things of this world even more. 
Am I right? Come on, am I right? Um, I think this idea of loyalty in every area of our life is affected by a divided heart. We got part of our heart running one way and part of our heart running another way. Here is how the book of James says to deal with this. Listen to this, listen to this. This is gonna blow your mind. James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he was never a follower of Jesus until later. Um, you know, it'd be hard to, to look at Jesus, your brother, and go, yeah, he's God's son, right? But eventually James came around to believing that Jesus was God's son. Now check this out. He writes this. Draw near to God. Pause, pause, pause. Draw near to God. This is a little free thing. This isn't even in the notes. You and I have a responsibility in this divine exchange. You and I have a responsibility to draw ourselves near to God. It has to be a purposefulness of soul because there is very little in this world that will naturally push you toward the things of God. Am I right? So it says, you draw near to God and guess what God's going to do? Come on. He is going to draw near to you. So do we just sit around and go, oh, I hope God runs into me one day. No. Learn about him. Grow with him. Take next steps with him. Serve, give, care, pray. Read your Bible. Do whatever you can to draw near to God. Get around Christians. Get in a life group. Join a serving team. Make an appointment with Pastor Jay for crying out loud. I don't care what you got to do, right? Draw near to God. And there's a promise that God will draw near to you. And then it says this. this James goes, so wash your hands. And he uses this terrible, terrible churchy phrase. He goes, wash your hands, you sinners. I hate that word. Because it is exactly what I am. And my guess is, it's probably what some of you are as well. That we don't get it right before God. And he says, listen, you haven't been drawing near to God, but if you do, he'll draw near to you. So what has to happen is those things that divide your heart, those things that take you away from God, he says, wash your hands of that sin. Sin is anything that separates you from God. He says, so wash your hands, purify your hearts. And then listen to this, for your, what is this word? For your loyalty. Say that at our video campus. For your what? Loyalty. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There is part of you. Does anybody feel this ever? There is part of you that loves God. And then there's part of you that loves the world. And he says you have to settle that issue in your soul because it will affect every part of who you are. Here, here's what it says. Let there be tears for what you have done. You should feel sorrow for what you have done. He says, you should reflect on the things that have taken you away from God. He says, you should feel that, right? Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, you can be loyal to a fault? Ever, anybody ever heard, heard of that? You can be loyal to a fault? The reason that phrase is out there is because it's true. You can be loyal to some things that do not deserve your loyalty. You can be loyal to some things that you know you need to let go of in life because it is not where God wants you, but God is not one of them, right? But God is not one of those things. God is worth our loyalty. God is worth my loyalty. Um, oftentimes, friend, listen, in order to be loyal to the one, you gotta move away from the other things that you have been loyal to. Those things that 
take you away from the things of God. Uh, you could say it like this. When, when, loyalty is, when your loyalty is tested, when, when, you, when your loyalty is tested, you have to decide where your loyalty lies. Anybody ever have your loyalty tested? It's in that moment you decide where your heart belongs. It's in that moment that you decide where to prioritize your loyalties. Did you know that you have to prioritize your loyalties? Anybody know this? Do you know that God prioritizes his loyalty? This is deeply theological, and I hope that you, we can get our minds around this just in a second. But you know, God is fiercely loyal to us. When I was a sinner, it says Christ died for me. When I'm rebelling against God, he's fierce and he comes after me. Y'all know this, right? God does not leave us easily. Anybody in the room know this? Come on, anybody in the room? So listen. But did you know that you are not God's top loyalty? Did you know that you are not God's top priority? God's son is God's top priority. That's when it says, well, if you deny Jesus before men, God and his father will deny you one day. Because why? He cannot deny his son. And he cannot embrace those who deny his son. Does that make sense? Because we all have a hierarchy of loyalty. I love your kid. Your kid's cool. Your kid's way cool. He can stay at my house anytime he wants. But I don't love him like I love my kids. Sorry. It's just the truth, right? Because we all have priorities of loyalty. Am I right? And so God has a loyalty priority system. And it starts with himself. It starts with the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It starts with his nature, his character. He is who he says he is. He will always be loving. He will always be good. He will always be generous. He will always be righteous. He will always be holy, no matter what. No matter how many times Jeremy argues with him and says, God, really, are you really calling us to do this or to become this? God's like, yeah, and I ain't changing my mind. Listen, friends, when your loyalty is tested, you have to decide where your loyalty lies. And so I... All I know, and I don't know where to go for you with this. I don't know where you got to go. Uh, but for me, I can tell you that God is worth my loyalty. He is worth my loyalty. And it kills me when I'm not. And I want to do better. And so maybe for some in this room, you need to go back to your family, uh, to your wife, I don't know, to your husband, I don't know, to your kids. And you see, say, I'm so sorry. I have let some things get in the way here. And uh, I don't know what's gotten into me, but I don't want it anymore like this. It's got to change. This is crazy. Maybe some of you need to go back to an ex. And you need to say, you know what? Back then, I just want you to know, uh, I really screwed up some things. And I'm not who, I was not who I wanted to be. And I just wanted you to know, I'm sorry, and I'm not like that anymore. I should flip out and say, yeah, right. But you'll be right before God. Maybe you need to go to your kids and say, I'm so sorry. All kinds of stuff has gotten in the way. And I'm sorry. Even your 29-year-old kid, your 39-year-old kid. And maybe for some, you need to go back to your friend and say, you know what? I haven't really been there the way I thought I was supposed to be there and the way that you needed me. And I am just, I blew it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, the thing about the church, we have some amazing people around here who are incredibly loyal and I don't even deserve, you know, some of the efforts made in this church as the leader. I mean, it's like, you guys are amazing, some of you. But others of you have been nothing more than a consumer. And you need to go to God and say, God, I am so sorry for abusing your church and expecting somebody else to build a great church for me.
and my family. And you should say, God, I want to get on your team and I want to serve and I want to give and I want to care and I want to pray. You should be praying for me. You should be, you should be, uh, when you come into this place, you should be like, how can I serve you, God? How can I get involved? Are you going to hold the door for somebody? Are you going to smile? You, some of you need to smile at your pastor for once in a while, right? But something's got to change. Something's got to give. And maybe some of you just need to start with God himself and say, God, I love you but I have loved the world too much and I am so sorry. And I want my heart to be right before you. Loyalty is hard to see in the mirror. And loyalty is not to be proclaimed. It is to be what? It is to be proven. 